Hey, everybody, Tom Block. Thanks so much for tuning into Front Row Knowles. Important programming announcement here. You may be aware that ESPN Tallahassee is flipping formats. It's already changed owners. And so the Jeff Cameron Show is moving. So is Front Row Knowles. We'll both be available on Real Talk 93.3 on the FM in Tallahassee. Front Row Knowles will continue to air on Wednesdays, but from noon to one, that's starting August 11th, preceding the Jeff Cameron Show. Again, Front Row Knowles, noon to one on Wednesdays on 93.3 FM, Real Talk Tallahassee, starting August 11th. Hope you'll move over with us. The podcast will continue. And if we need to get any important messaging to you, follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter, or you can follow me as well. My handle is at underscore Tom Block on Twitter. Again, hope you'll follow us and enjoy this week's show. Here's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Welcome to Front Row Knowles. Hey, Keith. Trying to be upbeat, Tommy, but obviously the news in Tallahassee has taken a little bit of a sad turn. Is that a fair statement? That's a fair statement, and this happened after we recorded last week's show, and it's exactly where we need to start, and I was planning to start. And then the second part of this, which is not related to Coach Bowden, is related to the state of college football overall, and we'll have a long conversation with David Hale from ESPN about what the ACC does next when the SEC is out there playing chess and the ACC doesn't even have enough pieces to play checkers potentially, but we'll have that conversation. Patrick Burnham from the Osceola will join us as well. Mike Norvell continues to crush it. He and his staff on the recruiting trail. So all that is straight ahead on, on front row Knowles, but Keith, the news came out last week that Bobby Bowden has a terminal illness. A day later, it was disclosed that it's pancreatic cancer. You played for him very early in his Florida State tenure as head coach, so I'll let you go first in sharing your thoughts about Coach Bowden. Very saddened. Uh, Know that when someone's 91 years old, he'll be 92 in November, that these types of issues come up. When I first heard the news, I thought personally, I didn't talk to anybody, but I thought personally that it might be prostate-related because folks forget that he had prostate surgery and, and, and was diagnosed with early prostate cancer while he was still coaching. It's kind of not, not funny as in ha-ha, but it's uh, certainly a uh, story of unusualness that he made Joe Camps do the surgery at three or four o'clock in the morning. People either didn't know about that or forgotten about that because he was scared to death that um, from a recruiting standpoint, they would talk about Coach Bowden having cancer and having to have surgery and you know, teams would use that against him. So he literally checked into the hospital at one or two o'clock in the morning camps, did the surgery at three or four, whatever it was. And he was back home before daylight. Um, this is much different. Uh, and uh, certainly uh, when you use the word terminal, you, um, you sh- shudder a little bit, but, and I hope I'm not the only one that thinks this, but Tommy, I'm, I mean, I know, I know, how coach Bowden is and I know he's ready and I know he knows where he's going. Um, so it, it, it's made me sad, but it's almost like it's just the conclusion of a trip and you know that he's been successful and you know where he's going and you know, he's going to get there. Great. 
And so uh, it doesn't have the same sting, maybe, that other types of news of this would be. I hope that's, I hope our listeners understand that that's me giving Coach Bowden a compliment that is not negative in any way, shape, form, or fashion. What's the biggest life lesson you took away from your time with Coach? Never quit. Never quit. Um, uh, Jim Gladden, um, Jack Stanton, when he was alive, uh, uh, Billy uh, uh, would say the same thing. When, when, when coaches were presenting the kids that he, they were recruiting, remember, it's much different 40 years ago. So Billy Sexton or Jim Gladden or, or Gene McDowell or Jack Stanton would say, I'm recruiting Tom Block. Tom Block is a quarterback at, uh, for, in Fort Lauderdale. And the first thing Coach Bowden would ask of that coach, Will he quit and will he fight? And so those are two things. Coach Bowden will not quit. He will fight and uh, he'll have a smile on his face when he takes his last breath. Um, And that's the life lesson he taught me. How about the life lesson, Keith? Because I didn't play for him. And by the way, if, if they were recruiting me, I'm not sure what recruiting service gave him that list. There wasn't a recruiting service then. That's my point. (laughs) (laughs) They would have needed another list. But if you think about what Bobby's story was, you know, there's, there's aw shucks and there's the climb to the mountaintop and wide right one and wide right two. And, but at least he played Miami and all that stuff. And so what I'm driving to, I didn't play for him, but you saw it several times and it's just having grace and dignity in the face of crushing defeat. Uh, because he was, there was always uh, humility. Uh, he, he was always humble in that. And, and frankly, some of the best interviews and the most memorable quotes that he offered over the years were in the face of defeat, not after a win. That's because life wasn't about the game. Life is bigger than the game. And so he had his priorities in order. And just along that same uh, thought process, we weren't football players to him. We were, we're, we were his boys. And in our politically correct world, people have chastised Coach Bowden for referring to his players as boys. We, we are his boys. I'm proud to be his boy. Uh, I'm proud to be a Bowden boy. And I will always be a Bowden boy, just like I will be J.C. Jones' boy. And uh, he was much more about off the field than on the field. On the field was important. Terribly competitive. Uh, you know, Most of our fans know him as that grandfatherly type. No, sir. He was terribly competitive, wanted to win, would, would make the effort to win. But if you lost, it was a game. Life was a much bigger deal. And he instilled that in all of us, uh, whether we played four years for him and started every game or whether we warmed the bench and we're just happy to have our degree. He treated all of us the same and he inspired all of us. And, uh, and, and, and I'm proud to be a Bowden boy. I'll share one story, Keith. I could tell a few Bowden stories, but but we'll save them. This is, uh, you think about how much, I guess evolution maybe is the word. I'm not sure if that's the correct word, but he was born in the shadows of the Great Depression. And, and here we are today in 2021. But this is 20 years, I think it was 20 years ago, whatever year Spurrier suddenly quit Florida, 2001, 2002, I don't remember the timing. The internet was around but it was not relied upon the way it is now and so ESPN uh, and ironically we'll be talking with David Hale later in the show ESPN reported that Spurrier was quitting 
resigning. And we knew this. We went to a station, uh, I mean, to his office, sat outside. Coach, uh, I think it was still Miss Sue at, at that point as his assistant. And uh, he would not offer us a comment on it until he got a faxed piece of paper from the University <laughs> of Florida confirming that Steve Spurrier had, in fact, resigned. So I sat there for two and a half hours. And then he finally got the facts, and it said exactly what ESPN had been reporting. He came out and did the interview, and uh, you know, in jest, took a, took a few shots at uh, Steve, but also showed him respect. And but anyway, the point being, that's that's an awful lot of life from the shadows of the Great Depression to that time to where we are right now. <laughs> Tommy, you're going to think our listeners are going to think I've made this story up, but there was a time when Coach Bowden and I had the conversation. This is during recruiting when you had to fax in your national letter of intent. And he and I were having a conversation. He goes, Keith, you know one of the greatest inventions in the 20th century, 21st century? I said, no, Coach. What? He said, the plain paper fax machine. That's a great invention. You don't have to deal with that thermal paper. It doesn't roll up on you. That's a great invention. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. Oh, well, we can we'll, – we'll share more stories and obviously uh... – uh, our, our thoughts are, are with Coach Bowden and, and the family. And, uh, you know, in the shadows uh, of, of that news or the reverberation of that news hitting the college football landscape, Keith, comes the word that Oklahoma and Texas are bolting for the SEC, and that's turned things completely upside down. And I think where I'm at it, Keith, I don't have SEC envy. I, there's Most FSU fans, if you polled them, have wanted Florida State to be in the SEC for years. And I understand the reasons why. I don't want to say I've been lukewarm. I would have been fine with it. But at this point, to me, it's more about having enough resources to compete at the highest level. And that's where my concern is, because I don't see a lot of great options for the ACC. And so that's really my bigger worry about it as it pertains to how this moves forward. Uh, Certainly, that is a concern. And certainly, that is on the forefront of things. Um, you know, I, I vacillate because, you know, I played when FSU was an independent and, and you and, you know, I started my broadcast work prior to the ACC, uh, prior to 92 when, when the, the, they joined the conference. And I liked the independent, um, independence of being an independent. Of course, everybody's chastising and chopping at the bench because of BYU and especially Notre Dame uh, trying to keep their independence in today's world. But, um, you know, one of the things old school that, that I thought about as it relates to this is, you know, if you go into the SEC, you're going to lose a game or two or three every year. I mean, even the Alabamas of the world very rarely go undefeated. And there'll be some years when you might go six and six and, and maybe two out of ten, three out of ten, even if you're a great program. And uh, so it's mixed emotions. I think FSU uh, benefited immensely from joining the ACC when they did. Uh, I think you're absolutely correct, however, that uh, in today's world and going forward, um, whether we like it or not, money is so important. And the SEC is better positioned on the money side than the ACC right now. And that, that does create a little bit of an unlevel playing field. That's exactly right. The The simplest way to put it, and I understand that the SEC schedule and schools coming through on October Saturdays would be great. Being front page news instead of back of the sports section to go old, old school on the reference, all that. I understand all those arguments. 
I just think when you ask people about it, they always envision Florida State would be Alabama in the SEC. And the possibility, maybe the reality would be that Florida State's Auburn in the SEC, which doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that every 10, 15 years, maybe you'll have a special season, but you might be eight and four a lot. Up and down. All um, all that, all that said, the the dollars is my concern now. And our next guest, uh, David Hale, will we'll dive deep about conference uh, expansion uh, or realignment possibilities. And, and if you have any, you can just go ahead and uh, at me on Twitter because I'll send them to the ACC office. I don't think there's many great options right now, but we'll discuss that with, uh, with David Hale. I do have one great option. That is to call the golf club at Summerbrook, 894-4653. I remind you every week, uh, students, just 25 bucks for 18 holes with your cart. Uh, that's any tee time every Wednesday. They've got a lighted driving range. Get on out to Summerbrook. And play some golf, 894-4653. We'll step aside, come back, talk about conference realignment, ACC possibilities, or uh, limited options with David Hale from ESPN right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Time to crank open the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And we have... uh, Connected with the man who has all the answers on conference realignment, David Hale from ESPN. So, David, the floor is yours. Just go ahead and lay out how this is all going to shake out four years from now. What's the conference structure going to look like? <laughs> well, don't don't start with an easy one. Um, look, it's a great question. The fact of the matter is I'm not sure that anything is off the table right now. And, in fact, that's exactly the wording I have gotten from multiple athletics directors and coaches is I don't think anything's off the table. There's a lot of sentiment uh, around college football that says, boy, we don't like what the SEC and Texas and Oklahoma just did. And we don't want to double down on that and drive college football into this, uh, you know, uh, extent uh, protracted um, convergence of, of teams around one or two leagues. And we have these, you know, it's fine. The, the, the old joke, uh, the joke that's been going around is, hey, remember when European soccer tried to do a Super League two weeks, like two weeks ago, and everyone hated it. And then college football was like, yes, let's do that. Um, that's sort of that's sort of the direction that I think people are worried that it's going in. And there's a, a significant faction that's saying, look, even if it's not necessarily in our best interest today, it is our long term best interest and the sports long term best interest not to go too far down this road. But it's a very fragile piece, I think, right now. And so everybody's sort of waiting for the next domino to fall. And maybe it doesn't. But I would say at this point, the odds are that it does. And depending on the size of that domino, things could get really shaken up really quickly. David, the only two things that we know for sure, although there are reports that maybe they're not for sure, is that uh, the two squads have said they want to leave a conference and they've made application to a new conference. Other than that, everything else is just speculation right now, correct? Correct. And, um, and that's a good point. And, and a thing that I think a lot of folks are trying to remind uh, themselves and others at this point is, you know, nothing is, is markedly different today than it was yesterday. It's the, the potential is certainly there. A, uh, a fuse has been lit, most certainly. But how big 
that bomb is when it goes off is still really up for discussion. And and just because Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC appear to make a move does not require anyone else to make a counter move. They could stand pat with where they are. Unfortunately, we also look at what college football is and the big business of it. And there's a lot of folks who think like, look, uh, I'm not going to be the last one standing in a game of musical chairs. And so everybody is sort of very tentatively waiting and watching to see if something happens next. And, and, and frankly, um, you know, money is what drives all of this. And I don't know that that's good for the sport. And I think you could probably suggest that it is certainly not good for the sport, but if there's money to be made, there is a big incentive for powers that be to go ahead and make moves, whether or not it is a good thing for the sport in the long term. To play on your analogy of musical chairs, it feels like the SEC is all in lazy boys and the ACC's options right now are the metal folding chairs that you find in a church fellowship hall. Tell me I'm wrong. I was going to go with those big balls, the exercise balls that you're supposed to sit on for your back. Bean bags. Let's um, go with bean bags. Yeah. Um, look, uh, I'm not here to bash John Swafford. Um, I think he certainly did some very good things for the ACC, but he left his, uh, his, new commissioner and, and Jim Phillips who the you know the reports on are fantastic and everybody says great things about him and I think he's a really sharp dude but the situation he walked into is not a good one because you have uh, a TV contract that has been described to me as an albatross that is runs through 2036 you have effectively no leverage with Notre Dame which is the one team that might really move the needle for the ACC uh, and you had that leverage last year and, and kind of let them go and gave them what they wanted without asking for anything in return. Um, there's really very few avenues for the ACC to go. There's not teams out there that, that would move the needle from a dollar standpoint. I think you could make a good case that someone like Cincinnati or Houston or UCF or West Virginia or Oklahoma State, those teams could help the ACC from a football on-field competitive standpoint. I wouldn't argue with that. But the unfortunate reality is that's not the driving force for pretty much anybody at this point. The idea is how does the ACC not get lapped by the SEC? And right now that's where they are. And, you know, the other side to this is as much as I think Jim Phillips wants to be proactive here and find some solutions, he is really sort of forced into a very reactive mode because they have no leverage for the most part and everybody else is holding cards. Dave, is it fair to say two things? Number one, uh, if Notre Dame does something, they have to do it with the ACC. I've not read the contract, but my understanding it's the equivalent of, you know, right of first refusal if they choose to join a conference. And secondly, absent them joining the conference, there's very little that would trigger a renegotiation of that contract with Espen that you talked about that goes all the way to 2036. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are those that believe Notre Dame is the only answer. Um, it is the only obvious answer, I think, without question. I mean, look, is there some alternate universe scenario where you make a solid case to Penn State and get them to bolt the Big Ten? I mean, there's reasons that that would make some sense for Penn State, but the ultimate reason it doesn't is about 20 plus million dollars a year. And I don't see how anyone says that that's a move that they would want to make. Um, is there a scenario in which you find some sort of way to effectively merge with the Pac-12 or, you know, create some sort of cross-country uh, mega conference? 
it's a possibility, I guess, but I certainly wouldn't call that likely. The, the most reasonable outcome, if you're the ACC and you want a magic bullet here, it is indeed Notre Dame. And you're correct that there is a, a, a clause within the Notre Dame contract with the ACC that allows them to have all of their Olympic sports played within the ACC, but not football. And the clause says that if they join a conference before 2036, that it must be the ACC. Now, as you all know, everything's negotiable, right? So, I mean, technically Oklahoma and Texas aren't allowed to leave the Big 12 before 2025, but I think we all know exactly what's going to happen. There'll be some money exchange and it'll happen. So what is the, what is the uh, requirement for Notre Dame to join a league that isn't the ACC? That's a murky territory from what I understand. I mean, we might be talking about uh, a few hundred million dollars. We might be talking about a half a billion dollars. I don't know exactly. I haven't read the contract and I've not been able to get a, a firm answer. But to me, it's almost all a moot point because as long as Notre Dame has a path to the playoff, a home for their Olympic sports and a TV network willing to show their games, they have absolutely no incentive to join a conference, whether it's the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the ACC or anyone. Dave, what about, as a follow-up, what about the notion that they may start um, unequal distributions or or, or favored distributions of revenue in order to attract or retain. Uh, that's been talked about. I see huge problems with that. What's your take? Look, there's, again, when you're dealing with a contract situation, a TV contract and revenue payouts where the ACC is, there's not a lot of good answers here, first of all. Um, I agree with you. I, I think, look, it's certainly an avenue that is worth uh, discussing, exploring. Um, and I, to be clear, I have not heard from Jim Phillips or any ACC members that this is a conversation that has been had thus far. But one of the things that Jim Phillips was talking about long before the Texas and the OU news was the ACC needs to change its focus to prioritize football. And all of y'all down in Tallahassee know this is a conversation that's been going on for a long time, that it has been a source of frustration in places like Clemson and Miami at Florida State because the rest of the league is not prioritizing the place that is bringing in all of the money. So, uh, you know, Jim Phillips has talked a very big game about how we need to reprioritize football and that schools need to be invested and focused on football first. And a lot of that comes down to very vague language about, hey, let's, you know, talk more about football. Let's uh, really try to be competitive and recruit. You know, it's just, what does it mean? What does it mean to actually invest in football? And it's hard for me to wrap my head around the idea that Duke is ever going to become a football first school or that, um, you know, Virginia is going to be a football first school. I mean, heck, as good as I think North Carolina can be this year, it's hard for me to envision a time in which North Carolina is still a football first school. So I think it is not necessarily unfair to suggest if your priority priorities philosophically are not aligned with a football first mentality, that's fine. Do as you please, but you are going to get a smaller slice of this pie that has been baked by football. Um, I, I agree with you, though, there are massive implications to that. And one of the reasons that the Big 12 has been so unstable over the last you know, decade and a half has, because, has been because Texas holds more sway and more power and more money than everybody else. And you don't want to be held hostage by a program either. And that's sort of the, the, the back and forth debate. What is good 
for the group and what is good for the individual. And I mean, look, we have these conversations uh, at levels well beyond football and we don't come up with really good answers on them. So I'm not sure there's a great answer here either. But again, I think if you're the ACC, you have to be thinking creatively about how we can uh, maneuver through this new world order. David, you and I had uh, some dialogue on on Twitter and you, you shot down my thought, which is related to this one. It's going one step further, uh, not just saying, hey, you're not a football school. We're going to give you less. But how about you? Uh, you know, here's your plaque. Thanks for your time in the league. We wish you well as a free agent because we're going to contract because even if the ACC is paying, you know, getting less money, 500 million divided by 10 is more than 500 million divided by 14. But right. you're, what, what, you've, what you've heard is there's just no interest in contraction. And then the part B, I am curious, what's the process to, re- can you even remove a school? Do you just get together and the other 14, 13 schools say, hey, you know what? BC is not moving the needle a lot. So you guys in favor of kicking them out? Like how would that even work? Right. So there's, um, let's start with, with this. Your, your point theoretically makes a ton of sense because just look at the big 12. I have been told, uh, and this is certainly not official numbers, but I've been told this by enough people that I think it's a realistic uh, uh, guess on where this is that the big 12's TV contract, the money that they were getting for TV is cut by probably about 75% when those two teams leave the league. So if you look at it as Texas and Oklahoma were bringing in 75% of the value. Why are they sharing this equal portion of that pie with uh, Kansas state, which is not bringing in anything close to that. So your, to your point, if we only got, let, you know, say uh, 90% of a TV contract instead of the hundred percent that we're getting, but we eliminated four teams, the individual slices of the pie get a lot bigger, even if the overall pie got smaller. So it's a reasonable theory. The caveats to this, I would say, is number one, I have asked people about this, and this was even before Texas and Oklahoma's news. Is this an, uh, a possibility? Is this a thing that would happen? And, and I've not had anyone suggest that, that that's even on the table. It doesn't mean it'll never happen, but at this point, it's not on the table. Um, I, the other thing of it is, and particularly when you talk about the ACC, the legal ramifications of this are huge because, A, you have signed contracts through 2036 with these same teams. And B, you know, if Boston College wants to come back and sue the ACC for booting them because they have invested in long-term capital projects based on expected revenue for the next 10 or 15 years, and these are all things that, that, that um, become as much of a nightmare to the whole situation as just dealing with it as it is. But there is some precedent for this because the Big East back in the day when it was still a, a BCS member conference told Temple, you are terrible and we are getting rid of you. And, and I, you know, I, I wrote a, a story uh, a year or two ago on the idea of, of taking a European soccer style relegation, um, just sort of a flight of fancy story about what if we had that here. And I used the Temple reference um, as, as sort of a framing point and talked to the AD who was at Temple at the time. Uh, and he was saying, look, that actually was really a good thing for us because at that time, Temple as a school philosophically didn't know how much it cared about football, if it cared about football at all. They actually held a vote on whether or not they were just going to get rid of the football program altogether. And the Big East decision to boot them sort of said, made them take a step back and say, look, we need to rethink who we want to be and what we're going to do. And Temple has been a far better football program than at any point in its history since that move happened. 
it was a little bit of a take a step back to take a step forward. So there's still, I think, even a case to be made that, that some of these programs could benefit from, you know, if you're, uh, I don't want to pick, I'll pick on Vanderbilt since they're not going to get, the SEC doesn't have to make these tough decisions. But if you're Vanderbilt and a Vanderbilt fan, are you better off getting your butt whooped every season in the SEC and not having any chance to compete? We're going to say uh, the Mac and having a good chance to win a conference title every year. I, I don't know. I'm sure there's fans that, that would have opinions on either side of that, but um, it's not without precedent. I would just say at this point, it is still very, very unlikely. We're talking with David Hale from ESPN. So you made comments about John Swafford before. I'm certainly not a Swafford apologist, but I would point out that when you look at the schools that comprise the ACC, uh, you know, in some respects, and this relates to the ACC network, he's selling a product or putting together a product that people aren't interested in buying. Whereas if you're running the SEC, everybody's lining up, they want it. They literally would burn down the Comcast office if they didn't get distribution. So as I look back, the, I think the area to me where the ACC really failed, it, it, it's been the Gentlemen's League, and they, they looked inward to North Carolina for so long, they were reluctant to move the conference basketball tournament to New York to, to monetize other opportunities. But as it relates to when he brought Syracuse in and the schools that, uh, on the one side, I mean, it prevented the ACC from becoming the Big East, and it's prevented the ACC from becoming the Big 12, but it hasn't gotten the ACC to be the SEC. But I'm wondering, I mean, he didn't choose basketball schools over football schools. He chose the only schools that, it, that would, would say yes. I mean, I'm assuming there weren't, wasn't like there were SEC school, schools at the door, and he said, no, we're going to take Syracuse and Pitt instead. Right. I think there was... Look, there's a lot of things that you can sort of point and say in retrospect, probably was not the best decisions. But um, I mean, look, the ACC's bread and butter was basketball for a long time. And and really until sort of the, the you know, the, the last round of realignment when the ACC added Virginia Tech and Miami. And, and that was really start, the start of a point in which the, the finances of football and basketball began to really diverge. And um and so I think there was a little bit of still an old school mindset, whereas the SEC has always been thinking, um, you know, five and 10 years ahead, the ACC sort of wanted to live in the, the land of five and 10 years ago because it was nice for them. Uh, I think there was a little bit, you know, when you think about realignment a decade ago that happened, so much of it was about capturing uh, geographic regions, not about actual football schools. I mean, you know, the Big Ten makes a ton of money. And so no one is criticizing that they took Maryland and Rutgers. But those were terrible decisions in retrospect. I mean, even Nebraska, which at least you could make a case for at the time, is offering very little to the Big Ten now. It's just that it also has a TV network that prints money for them. Um, I, you know, if you were trying to make inroads in DC and New York and Boston and New England, and just the general Northeast, which everyone was trying to do for cable distribution purposes, they added the right teams. If you were trying to just keep your league afloat and you were trying to have basketball still be important and you were trying to uh, bring in schools that met uh, stringent academic criteria, they made the right decisions. All of those things are true. But the economic reality of college football today is that small private schools do not tend to bring in a lot of money. And the ACC has more of them than anyone. And that uh, the additions of Pitt and Syracuse and Boston College um, really fit with that whole mindset. And um, <clears throat> look, you can't fault him for bringing in Virginia Tech and Miami. That made a lot of sense at the time. I think to some degree still does. But, and you know, it's, 
you were always sort of trying to please two gods when you were John Swafford, the basketball gods and the football gods. And I think more often because Carolina, the, the geographic area of, of the triangle and North Carolina schools were close by to the ACC offices and they were the history, that's sort of the side that, that tended to win out in a 50-50 battle that never should have been a 50-50 battle. David, my last question, I think it's fair uh, at least to ask it, given that rights deal extension to 36 very little possibility that any current ACC member will go anywhere else. We're only talking about expansion, maybe contraction if we ask people to leave, but probably not contraction if someone comes after one of the ACC schools, correct? I think so. But I will say that, again, everything's negotiable. And I think if you are, one of the things that's really not been talked about this much um, in my mind that should be at the forefront of these conversations is not just money but recruiting matters. And if, if, the, if the SEC has effectively created within the Southeast this mini NFL that is going to be a huge draw for elite recruits, if you are Florida State, Miami, and Clemson, the schools that want to recruit at an elite level, you look at that and say, I am playing at a disadvantage because the best of the best don't want to come and play for the JV, in the JV conference. They want to play for the SEC. And it's already a problem. I mean, it's already that's a, a talking point on the recruiting trail, but it gets so much more so uh, as the SEC expands and the money is bigger and bigger. And if you start thinking like, look, we're, we're as good as SEC teams, but we're making half the money and we're fighting an uphill battle on the recruiting trail. Is it going to cost us a whole bunch of money to leave? Yes. But in the long run, maybe it's an investment worth making. Again, I don't think we're anywhere close to that at this point. And I think, Cooler heads certainly are hoping to prevail, but everybody's got an ejector seat if the, the accident gets big enough. And that's, that's kind of where we're at right now. Two, two last points and we'll finish up, Dave. Going back to the contract situation, I realize Notre Dame doesn't have an incentive to join, but I think the answer here is everything's negotiable. If, if a new school was to come in, the dollars change, but you could you could renegotiate or try to renegotiate the 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 twenty thirty six end date and grant of rights, or is that thirty six date firm? Well, the, I mean, the part of the problem is ESPN has virtually no incentive to want to do this, right? Right, right. Um, I think you can make sort of a existential argument that, like, hey, Notre Dame, if you don't join the league, bad things are going to happen to the ACC and to football, and eventually it's going to put you in a bad place too. Or, hey, ESPN the sport of college football doesn't benefit by being uber regionalized in the sec. Like you need to be able to help the rest of us survive too. Um, but those are almost like philanthropic arguments. You're kind of asking somebody to make a benevolent decision that is not actually in their immediate self-interest. So I, I don't know. It's possible. I don't want to say no. And, and I think the league was already, I mean, I've talked to folks who there's a little bit of hand wringing in that, like, damn the SEC for pulling this backroom shenanigans to get Texas and Oklahoma, but also dot, dot, dot. A year later, we were probably going to look to try to talk to Texas and Oklahoma too. Like, it's not like they weren't already thinking if we can expand, we can get a new TV deal and we really need a new TV deal. So the conversations out there, I think you, you just, again, the biggest problem that the ACC has right now is what is their leverage? They are effectively hoping that someone else will make a decision that benefits them because they have very little room to command the, the conversation. And then the last question, in light of the fact that it now feels like Greg Sankey and, and Notre Dame and Swarbrick, because they were in the, involved in the college football playoff expansion discussion, 
but certainly Sankey knew this was going going on, and he's he's lobbying, advocating for a 12-team playoff uh, because six of the teams are going to be SEC schools, right? I'm wondering, is there going to be any pushback? Are we still going to move forward with this? And the argument to me is kind of, well, if you have four schools, two of them are going to be SEC, and if you have eight, four of them are going to be SEC, so why not just go to 12 and have six? But do you, do you think that still moves forward, or might some of the other conferences say, hey, pump the brakes, we'll stay where we are? You know, it's one of those things, first of all, I always used to say this when people would make trades with the Patriots and Belichick. I'd say, like, you know, if Belichick wants to do this deal, what am I missing? Because he's only doing something if he thinks there's something in it for him. And I feel like people should have said, like, hey, if Sankey and Swarbrick are all about this, like, what are we missing here? Uh, and, and, and Notre Dame's like, yeah, we don't need a home game. We'll just host a, <laughs> right. I mean, we don't need a, a buy. We'll just host a home game, whatever. Uh, <laughs> the whole thing um, – you know, I think probably should have been questioned more. And look, if you're Craig Sankey, the only bad news that has come out of all of this for him is that the news came out when it did. If they had already had this vote in September and the news leaks in October that Texas and Oklahoma are leaving, he don't care. But right now it does put it a little bit in in jeopardy. And I have talked to ADs uh, who are going to tell their school president, like, hey, I think we can, this is our fight back, right? And, and frankly, if you're Oklahoma, why would you have made this move if you didn't think you still had easy access to a playoff? Because you were making it every year in the Big 12 as it was. Why would you go and make life harder for yourself? Well, it only works if you expand to 12 and you have numerous SEC teams that are getting in. Um, I think, again, decisions in college football tend to not be made for any reason other than money. And at the end of the day, even though this is going to be a massive benefit for the SEC, it's still going to be some benefit for everybody else. And those dollars will win out. It wouldn't surprise me if there's a little bit of a protest that delays this a little while, or at least delays approval, if not implementation for a little while, my guess is it gets done one way or the other. David Hale from ESPN told you he'd have all the answers. Thanks for joining us as always, sir. My pleasure. It's good to see you guys again. Likewise, thanks, we'll David. Front row right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Really good segment with David Hale there as we talk big picture college football. We're going to bring it closer to home and talk Florida State specifically with our Osceola insider, Patrick Burnham. He, too, joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. Hey, Pat, how are you? Great, guys. How about y'all? We are, we are good, except for the fact that college football is self-destructing. But we already had that segment, and it was last segment. So we'll just, we'll just talk about what's going on at FSU right now. And, and first, and Keith and I talked about this at the top of the show, Pat, but since we last chatted, the news came out about Bobby Bowden and pancreatic cancer and terminal illness. And you obviously have uh, an awfully strong connection to Coach Bowden. I'm wondering if you have uh, thoughts or a a story or um, some succinct words you'd like to share about Coach Bowden and what he's meant to FSU, this town, and and college football in general. Well, I mean, first of all, to me, he is Florida State. He is Tallahassee. Uh, He had a significant impact on the life of my father and therefore my family. Um, you know, he's a man I have looked up to, 
uh, my entire life. Uh, you know, I can remember, uh, you know, hanging out in the atrium of the football facility back when it was the old gold morph building with reflective windows. And you know, it was all right for me to be in the football facility until he came down those stairs that I needed to kind of disappear, you know, and, uh, you know, then growing up, ever think that I was scared or intimidated by the man was kind of funny because he's such a nice uh, man and uh, you know so funny so so fun to talk to and uh, you know when I run into him in town at least when I first moved back to town eight years ago he'd see me at the sing store Circle K and he'd be like "Uh, you're one of Wally's boys right and he could never remember whether I was Shane or Pat and of course now he knows that I'm Pat, but uh, you know probably my the the thing that uh, I remember most about uh, Coach Bowden, uh, among many things, is uh, when I was 15, Dad came home from work one day and he brought a set of golf clubs and a Florida State back home with him, and he said, "By the way, Coach Bowden wanted me to give you this set of Wilson Staff golf clubs." Uh, at that time, Coach Bowden got about a new set about every year. And I had shown some interest in playing golf, and one of the reasons I fell in love with that game uh, and that sport, and I still love it today, is because of what Coach Bowden did. I didn't ask for golf clubs, and uh, but he knew that he had coaches uh, who had sons that were athletes and are trying to be athletes, and so uh, you know he was nice enough to send those clubs home with me. But uh, certainly uh, was saddened to hear the news, and of course. You know, to me, Bobby Bowden was invincible, uh, is invincible, and, you know, you just don't ever think this day is going to come and, you know, wish him and his family all the best. Obviously, have a uh, close relationship with the entire family. Miss Bowden has actually called me about three weeks ago looking to run down my mother, and, of course, I played for Terry. And uh, so I've known the Bowden's a long, long time and still remember the first time I went over to Coach Bowden's house to cut his grass and, uh, was so afraid that I was going to miss the spot. I, I must have taken three hours to do an hour-long job. And uh, Growing up, my father would come right behind me and make sure I didn't leave a strip of long grass, and I was so afraid to do that at Coach Bowden. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, think the world of the man, of his family, and just praying for them all. Well said, Pat. Let's let's move to some of the on-field football news. You just That's a good description, three hours to do a one-hour job. I'm not going to suggest Keith or I would say it, but some might suggest that Florida State along the line of scrimmage, that's a good way to describe what they've gotten recently in recent years. So, so, so tell me how the, the commitments they got earlier this week are going, to, are going to help change that because Mike Norvell and company continue to kill it on the trail. They got commitments from two South Florida kids, an offensive lineman in Daughtry Richardson and a defensive lineman in Daniel, Daniel Lyons. Well, you know, I think the first thing numbers were a bit are for the offensive line had to be a, a priority for this class. But I think uh, once you start getting past the fact that they now have five committed offensive linemen for 2022, you start looking at the potential of these kids. And uh, you know, I was writing down some notes, and uh, you know, Daltrey Richardson, I think, is a heck of a pickup. Uh, you know, he he joins Quayshon Sapp, Aluba. Kaniah Charlton and Antavius Woody. Now, Woody has been my favorite out of those four, but I watched Daughtry's uh, tape today, and I'm going to tell you what, he is a true tackle prospect, which Florida State needs. Uh, he's long, has good lateral movement and pass protection, bends extremely well, uh, does a very good job in run blocking when he comes off the ball low. Uh, I think he has an outstanding, a chance to be an outstanding college football player, uh, but certainly they seem to be getting quality kids 
at the offensive line or kids with quality potential as opposed to just the numbers. So uh, very fired up for them about Daughtry, 6'4", 285, and he had been to Miami, Kentucky, and Arizona State before committing. But, uh, you know, it had been a while since I've watched him on tape, but uh, certainly fired up about his potential. And then, of course, you know, they got their third defensive line commitment in Daniel Lyon from Homestead High School. You know, I think he is probably uh, – a little bit for you know, it's gonna take a little bit further time to develop him. I think he's a two or three years away guy once he gets to campus, but certainly a big kid that can run. He's very raw uh, in his ability right now, plays a little bit too high, but uh, certainly uh, plays with a high motor, gets off the ball well. And when he plays with leverage, he's very good against the run, but right now he's just kind of getting by with. Uh, the fact that he's bigger, more athletic than most of the kids he played with. But certainly they are putting a priority on interior line play, both on offense and defense. And, you know, it's, if, you go, if you're going to be a good football team, that's where it's got to start. And uh, they're doing an excellent job of filling those needs right now. Pat, David Hale in our last segment talked about with the potential expansion and realignment and all that other stuff that money was playing a big part of it, obviously. But recruiting, uh, he mentioned, and I'm going to paraphrase what he said, but I want to get your reaction to it. Uh, he basically said the SEC is going to be, end up being the varsity and the ACC is going to end up being the junior varsity. And that's going to impact recruiting. Do you potentially see that happen in that way in three or five years if, if things don't readjust? Well, I think the SEC is trying to set themselves apart. I don't know that I agree with that statement as a whole because the United the population of the United States is getting bigger and bigger every year. So to think that 16 teams are going to take all the quality football players away from the other 112, 114 teams uh, is a little bit over the top for me. There's uh, still, you know, uh, if they go to six, if that SEC goes to 64, yeah, then it's watered down. But if they stay at 16, uh, you're still going to have the Big Ten still going to be a quality league. The ACC is going to be a quality league. I think it depends on where that you know what happens. What are the ripple effects from this expansion moving forward? Does the ACC, the SEC, stick at 16? Do they go to 24? Do they go to 32? What's the end game here? But I don't think just because they're going to 16 teams and they did bring in two very high quality uh, schools in Texas and Oklahoma. I don't, I, I'm not so much about it being watered down right now though. Uh, And the follow up, a big country with a lot of athletes. And my follow up uh, would be to the positive that, you know, what Norvell and his staff is being able to do right now is with a program that's coming off their third consecutive losing season and they're still having success. So, again, you know, I, I think you're right. I think the recruiting is so um, widespread and so different, and the factors of where you go and how you go are so different that, um, you know, uh, uh, the Norbells and the Florida States of the world can continue to do well. Yeah, I, listen, I, I think that it, I, I understand where David's going with that, but I do think that just adding two more teams to the SEC does not have, I mean, right now every other conference besides the Big 12 it's still got quality, uh, you know, you got USC and Oregon out west. you got Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, uh, Nebraska, Iowa out uh, in the Big Ten, and, of course, Clemson, Florida State in the ACC and North Carolina coming up. So, yeah, uh, I'm starting to worry about that if this goes into a 64-team, 84-team super uh, with three or four super conferences. Then you got to worry about – 
uh, the also-rans. But right now, I think there's still plenty of talent to go around. Well, completely related to that point, Pat, and you, you worked at the University of South Florida uh, for a time. The conversation we had with David Hale was from the FSU ACC point of view, which is it doesn't seem like there's a lot of good options. I would think that meanwhile, in the I-4 corridor, I'm not going to suggest that they were setting off fireworks, but but there might have been a little crack smile that they know they now have opportunity maybe to get together with the Big 12 teams and step up their profile from where they are. Do you think that's accurate? And, and in turn, what might that do to recruiting if UCF and US, USF are, are elevated a little more than they've been? Yeah, and listen, uh, you know, even talking about the Big 12, what if the ACC goes to 16? Uh, and UCF or USF, I think it would be UCF right now, would be more under more consideration just because of where they are as a program current time. But certainly if you're one of those two schools, uh, you know, being able to join either the Big 12 or ACC would certainly help enhance your recruiting profile. And, uh, you know, we had a lot more success recruiting at USF when we were in the Big East than when we lost that conference affiliation. So uh, certainly that would help either one of those two schools. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, if you're the ACC and you want to look at uh, expanding the conference, UCF would be a natural fit right now with uh, – the, the success that they're having, the, uh, the amount of people that they are able to put in that stadium. And, you know, there are ACC's already a couple of major metropolitan cities already. So they would uh, kind of fit the profile. But, yeah, I think that uh, right now I think everything's uh, all, uh, a possibility. I mean, I don't think you rule anything out. That's exactly what David Hale said. Everything's on the table. Hey, jumping back to recruiting, Florida State also got a commitment recently for a quarterback, uh, not in this year's class, but in the in the 23 class, and Chris Parson. Uh, what what can you tell us about him? Uh, you know, just uh, have not watched a ton of film on him, uh, but obviously uh, he's a kid that throws the ball very well, uh, you know, ha- is very athletic, and a kid obviously taking his commitment uh, this far out that FSU was very excited about. But, uh, you know, listen uh, – you know, he's done a good job evaluating quarterbacks. Uh, you got Duffy coming in. He's got two really good quarterbacks, uh, young quarterbacks on the roster right now. Uh, you know, will they, I think the, you know, how this battle shapes up over the next three or four years is going to shape uh, Mike Norvell's tenure at that position. All this recruiting talk, Pat, and one of the guys who started it all recently passed, and I'm talking about Bill Buckhalter, who was a fixture at the Orlando Sentinel. I'm sure you crossed paths with him a time or two, but he was writing about all county and all conference players and who was headed where long before there were websites and, and whole factions of college football fans that, uh, that even sniffed an interest in recruiting. Yeah. You know, uh, Mr. Buckhalter, I've known him probably since I was 15 or 16. Uh, he was the go-to source for recruiting. He was the recruiting guru before uh, anyone was known as a recruiting guru, but certainly someone that would be missed. He had so much knowledge of the state of Florida and the high schools and was such a good evaluator of uh, talent. Uh, he will be sorely missed. And uh, a gentleman that I had a chance to speak with two or three times in my lifetime and uh, just so pleasant to talk to and uh, really as a, a young man trying to, uh, you know, at that time was just immersed in football of all kinds uh, because I was in high school and in college. I paid attention to everything. Um, you know, he was a guy that I could learn from, and I read his articles about as routinely as I read anyone. 
Keith, fess up. Buck Halter did it so long that he actually wrote about you when you were coming out of Wildwood, didn't he? Tell he the did. Truth. He did. And uh, he attended practice uh, uh, my uh, sophomore, junior, and senior year. He came to one practice each of those three years because nobody came to Wildwood as a writer. Um, and and Bill Bill helped make me. Uh, his His mere mention of me elevated my play it had nothing to do with on the field it was just the fact that bull culture thought enough to say something about the little uh, country boy from wildwood so i'm eternally grateful for that <laughs> well and you must have been a pretty good player since he had to chisel stone to write down his notes <laughs> uh, very cute pat very cute <laughs> hey uh, uh, on that note pat i'm just going to go ahead and do keith a favor and thank you for joining us this week appreciate it <laughs> Well played, Patrick. All right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Y'all have a good one. Pat Burnham, soon to be our Osceola outsider, joins us on this week's show. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll have more front row knolls right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. A lot of good content on today's show. Appreciate you tuning in as always. We've got uh, just a further develop the news we've talked about recently Keith we've got one more week here at ESPN 97.9 and then we are moving over to Real Talk Tallahassee 93.3 on the FM dial that will be August 11th when we start over there hope you will follow us there podcast will continue we'll be in a new window of 12 to 1 on Wednesdays so we will proceed the Jeff Cameron show instead of uh, following the Jeff Cameron show uh, and again, that starts uh, August 11. Thanks to the folks. Does, does that give him an unfair advantage of talking about us that we can't rebut until a week later? It does, but we've had that advantage for since 2013, I think, or whenever we we joined forces uh, with ESPN Radio, Keith. Well, we didn't take advantage of it enough. That's our fault. I got a question. You're right. So, folks, uh, follow me on Twitter at underscore Tom Block. Follow at Front Roll Knowles on Twitter uh, if there's any programming notes we need to pass along we'll do that there and we'll also do it uh, on the show obviously again 12 to 1 on wednesday starting august 11th on you're gonna tell them what my new title is by the way twitterless keith jones that's yeah that's only new to you because you saw me put it in print that that's (laughs) that's been old for a while we've used that okay well played i I told you years ago if i had more time i would i would run the faux keith jones twitter account and it would be a guy uh you'd have goggles You'd have the old, either really short shorts or the old school coaches shorts, and you'd have tube socks up to your knees. That would be the caricature. And then we just, I'd just incessantly tweet things about back in my day, practices were twice as long. That would be the whole Twitter content. I, now well, that I'm everybody, talking, everybody would know it's not me because you said back in my day, and that's not the right way of saying that. It's back in the day. Gotcha. Yeah. So they, yeah, but I'd know enough to say it's Wildwood, only one D. Exactly. Hey, how about this? Change of gears real quick. Uh, Friday at the Tucker Center, a big event in the life of one Devontae Freeman. Did you read that news? That is, that's amazing. 30 years of age, seven, eight years removed, whatever it is. 
Uh, I looked it up. He's made $25 million in the NFL. And he's got, he came back to get his degree. He's walking on Friday. I haven't been that excited about a player until my former teammate, Bobby Butler, actually graduated when he was 60. I mean, he waited that long to do it. What a great uh, example of integrity, uh, keeping your word, and staying after it. And probably similar reasons, because when we had Bobby Butler on the show at the time, he talked about how he needed to – you know, his actions needed to reflect his words. And he was telling his kids that it's important to get a college degree and he didn't have his yet. So he went back and finished up and uh, Devonta Freeman is going to set that precedent uh, for his family as well. So congratulations there. That is great to see. I want to ask you this, Keith, I didn't dive in with Pat and I'll just state for the record, this involves realignment, adding UCF, Houston, West Virginia, anybody from the big 12, there is no school out there other than Notre Dame that would move the dollars enough to make it worthwhile. It would move it incrementally, and then you'd divide by one more number, and you'd still be getting the same payout. So right. forget, forget that part for a second. Think about the Florida State University of Florida football history and the fact that Florida wouldn't play FSU forever. And then when they finally started playing, they'd only play them in Gainesville. And now here we are. I'm asking you, if if the money made sense, which it doesn't, but if it did and you're FSU, would you stand in the way of UCF joining the ACC for the, for the same reasons Florida did back in the day because it would hurt your recruiting, it would hurt in-state, or would you say, come on in, here you go? I'd say, come on in, here you go. And the reason for that is the perception that UCF has that FSU should be respectful of, which contrasted with the perception that Florida had of Florida State way back in the day. Florida State considered uh, was considered a, a, a redheaded stepchild to the University of Florida. You can't make that assertion at FSU about UCF. UCF is the largest institution in the state. That Orlando area, from a monetary economic standpoint, and they play great football. You've got to be respectful of their great football. So, no, I don't stand in the way. In fact, I would embrace it and encourage it. I would much rather have UCF come into the conference than Penn State because I would much rather play UCF than Penn State, at least in the short term. Uh, and I realize that may say I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I think our listeners uh, get the gist of it. Hopefully you heard the start of that conversation, folks, which was if – they brought that money to the table, which to my knowledge, they don't. And I don't think that's where the ACC is headed. I was just curious your, your thoughts on that. I think the only thing I know we're running out of time, Tommy, but I think the only thing that might be advantageous there is adding a school. My understanding is adding a school, whether it be Notre Dame or UCF or both, adding a school opens the window to negotiate with Espen. And generally speaking, much to our amazement, the value of contracts have gone up. So what we would perceive as the incremental increase of UCF joining may not be as big as just the incremental increase of what's happening with TV contracts. And in that regard, that negative might not be as big as we think. I don't know that, but I hope that. We don't know anything, Keith. We prove that on a weekly basis and we'll do it again (laughs) next week right here. Thanks for tuning in. As always, he's Keith. I'm Tom. This is Front Row Knowles.